Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. It is time for the exciting conclusion to the 2001 TV movie, The Facts of Life Reunion. And with this, we will be closing out the series and this podcast. And that is fucking crazy. But if you're going fucking crazy, you want to be doing so with these two gentlemen who are on my Zoom screen. Matthew Arder. Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. <laughs> Voice is a little deep today. I still haven't slept since the last time we spoke, David. Oh, bless your heart. That's terrible. And last week, recording last week's show, all the fucking talking I did, that didn't put you to sleep, huh? Well, that's why I'm standing up, because I'm afraid if I sit down, <laughs> I will be O-U-T. Okay. Also joining us, Paul Padilla. Hi, Paul. Hello. I can't believe it's the last time I'm going to be on one of these podcasts. We started this thing pre-pandemic, pre-everything, pre-so many things. Mm -hmm. uh, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that today. This is... Oh, I love your use of the term we. <laughs> <laughs> well, people will get to hear you, Paul, on the TV Talkaholics podcast feed, which is up and running. People, don't forget, subscribe to TV Talkaholics because next week is the week we start with episode one. And uh, it's an early episode where you joined us, remember, because we talked about Charlotte Ray's memoir, The Facts of My Life. So there is more Paul Padilla coming and... We're going to be making some new shows soon, and we're going to be bringing in more guests, and you are not rid of us that easily, buddy. Well, great. That's good news. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. So let's recap everything that we discussed last week in detail. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's. Oh, Matthew, God bless you. Uh, no. Last week, we took two hours to synopsize 20 minutes of TV movie. So we're going to be doing this a little bit faster, moving it along. So the next scene is Blair showing them all around the bar. Uh, Raymond is carrying tools and he sneezes and drops things. Whoa, wacky. At which point, Natalie looks out the window and says, my boyfriend is here. And I think it's Blair who says, Robert. And Natalie says, well... And Tootie says, yeah, there is a Robert and there's also a Harper. And we quickly learn that Natalie's got two guys. Natalie's getting a little Tiger Woods with that shit. Um, can we talk about the name Harper for a man? Is is Harper a dude's name? Of course, I'm thinking of Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Markingbird. And in my mind, Harper is a woman's name. And I'm like... Why? I date a guy named Harper. You would or you did? I would. You would? Yeah. I mean, it's a cool, it's a cool name. I mean, you know, I don't, didn't, didn't bother me. Matthew, thoughts on the name Harper? Faggy? Once he walked in, I had no thoughts about what his name was. 
Uh, I will agree with that. We can once he walked in. Once he walked in. Speaking of white teeth. Oh my God! The clackers on that guy. Jesus. Hello. Yeah, I was yeah. blind. Yeah, but I'm like, he couldn't have been Hunter or Carter or something like that. Harper is, I don't know, to me, it's a woman's name. It's weird. But anyway, Natalie quickly explains that these two guys she's been with, neither of them was anything exclusive. But lately, things seem to have gotten a little more serious. So the boyfriend who has shown up is Robert. Robert is in a suit. And uh, he says, I just showed up out of the blue at the place where you said you were going to be because I missed you so much. Uh, but I'm going to lay low, knocking again in your way. I know you want to have your weekend. So you could have not come. And that would have been not toxic male behavior. You could have let me know your home pilots. Red yeah. flag. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. What the shit? Anyway. When she introduces Robert to Tootie and Blair, she says, this is Dorothy Ramsey and this is Blair Warner Warner. And this is when we learn. <laughs> Natalie turns him and says she married a man with the same last name. And I'm like, that explains why it's still Warner Towers and Warner and Mrs. Warner and all that. And Raymond calls her Mrs. Warner or Mrs. WW. Excuse me? <clears throat> Yeah, I didn't really like the way Blair treated Raymond. Yeah, it gets progressively more and more her holding up her hand over her head, like, oh, oh, gar oh garçon, oh, Raymond, take care of things. She was probably pissed off because he just wanted to keep touching her hair when he talked to her. Yeah. <laughs> That's why the hand went up, to keep, keep away from my hair. <laughs> Creeper. Yeah, but I love, 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 love this. Again, I forgive this movie a lot because... It's like, who would Blair Warner marry? Tad Warner. And that would make her Blair Warner Warner. Yes. All the yes to that as a plot point. Well, anyway, no sooner do we meet Robert, Harper shows up. What? So. And now we have to pretend like it's a challenge? Who she's going to choose? Uh, yeah. Robert is an attractive man. But he's a little bit older and very straight-laced. And Harper is portrayed as the free spirit. And he is young and hot. That's like, a lifetime movie right there. Thank she gonna you. She's going to go with the, the rough-and-tumble cowboy who jumps out of airplanes. Or is she going to go with the, the older New York corporate? The stable one that can provide her with retirement in the future. Yeah, exactly. That's why that's what I'm saying. This type of movie wasn't as much of a thing back then. I, 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 so I take it you both are Team Harper. Oh, fuck yes. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing. yeah. I wouldn't. I mean, Robert does do fundraising for the Lincoln Center and yeah. now. Uh, wants to get into funding a regional theater. Okay, Robert, you're looking a lot more attractive to actor David now. I was going to say, even then and now, I was always team Robert, but that's Interesting. Well, you've always had daddy issues. Well, <laughs> not the daddy now, but yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I've never really had daddy issues. I just thought he was nice and cute and was doing good things. Not, you know, I'm not very reckless. Maybe I don't want to jump, be, be with somebody who's jumping out of airplanes. I don't know, but- mm -hmm. Well, 
They have both shown up at the little inn in Peekskill where she's supposed to be meeting up with her friends and fuck these guys for intruding on their girlfriends, lady friends. Weak with her. What is happening? Red flag. Like you said, Matthew, red flag. Wake me up when we get to the part where we see Harper's feet and armpits. Okay. (laughs) The main thrust of the movie is this Natalie Harper Robert love triangle. That really gets the most screen time, upsettingly. And it's simply that initially they have these wacky slapstick ploys to try to keep the two of them apart and how Natalie is going to be able to be with one of them and then sneak around and be with the other and not be seen. And Tootie is going to help and Mrs. Garrett will watch the kids and they get into some crazy things. We're talking ducking under the table, covering yourself with the tablecloth, hiding behind furniture and and with with sound effects of like they're going a little uh, Mickey Mouse with this stuff to try to build up the farce and the comedy of it. But eventually their worlds do collide through a series of wacky events. They end up in bed together. Two dudes. What are they queer or something? And Harper's barefoot. Oh, Matthew is in. So with that, now it becomes a competition. These two men are going to fight and compete and actually set up categories in which they will compete. Things like romance, listening, cultural literacy, finance, and thank God, also swimsuit. And they both looking fine. God damn. Yeah, but Harper, like, I mean, but Harper, though. Yeah, Harper was a professional swimmer before he became an actor, and uh, it definitely shows. Harper <laughs> oh. looks pretty good in his, you know, big bikini brief things, whatever they are. Yeah. No, Robert looks good, too. I know, Paul, you're into Robert, whatever, you know, you're entitled to your awful taste. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Uh, um, but yeah. And while they're doing the swimsuit, this is this is when they play the village people's macho man and they end up kind of bumping each other a little bit and it devolves into a brawl. Oh, that's it. And at that point, Natalie is like, this is crazy. I'm out. Who cares? But when the scores are scored, Mrs. Garrett tells her that the one who got the most points in the competitions was Robert. And Natalie is like, oh, huh. Funny, I kind of thought it would have been Harper. And Mrs. Garrett's like, that's because you wanted it to be Harper, didn't you? What did she say? That's because you wanted it to be Harper, didn't you? Yeah, sir. Yeah. It's like pulling teeth trying to get you to do comedy, David. (laughs) So... Because Harper has left to go flying, Natalie runs to the airfield where she knew he'd be flying out of, and they have a nice reconciliation. She tells him he loves her, and they kiss, and he gets down on one knee, and he says, Natalie Sage Green, will you marry me? That was never said before, right? We did not know that, because I didn't know that when I heard it. Yeah, I was like, what? Oh, no, they've said Natalie's middle name before, Paul. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. I don't. In the episode of Different Strokes, where Blair and Natalie appeared, 
We discussed it on TV Talkaholics. It's called okay. The Older Man, when Blair okay. made up Kimberly to look older and more mature. The facts of life, they never mentioned it, just on different strokes, is what you're saying. Well, when commenting on how beautiful Kimberly looks, Blair says, beauty is my middle name. And Natalie says, my middle name is Letitia. So, nope, Sage is not her middle name, but... To the credit of Wiki Fandom, the wonderful page that has a lot of interesting things about character history, more so than uh, actor history, they do list her as Natasha, Letitia, Sage, Green, and then in quotes, Natalie. And I forget when we learned that Natasha was her, that Natalie is a nickname for Natasha. But <laughs> anyway, so they have accepted this as canon that well, you can have more than one middle name, but uh, FYI TV movie, her middle name was never Sage before this. You created that. We'll give you a little bit of a pass on that. But anyhow, they end up together happily. Anything uh, specifically about that storyline before we get into the others? Did you mention Harper's feet and his <laughs> armpits? <laughs> okay. <laughs> they are beautiful. Paul, that that's in comedy called a callback. <laughs> yeah, when you I have to something. teach you comedy, David. Can I just say this about the competition montage before we move on, David? If Certainly. I You're going to tell me that Natalie's doggy style is that good <laughs> that that these two guys, a straight man in the theater world. And a rugged world traveler can't just walk out and find another woman, a uh, straight guy in a theater. I mean, we know Natalie started practicing the sex things before all the other girls. I just, I mean, by now she must have a gold one. When they started the whole competition, the competition montage, like that's when I remember then watching it in 2001 where it really lost me and then rewatching that now i'm just like oh god like it's yeah just... it's preposterous we're gonna rate you and my friends are gonna score in points and this is where a lot of sound effects and fast motion and attempt to be cartoonish and broad doesn't really work it's kind of like eh, yikes i i did wonder if some of those sound effects were in there as an homage to the fact that she was the voice of velma on scooby-doo because I kept thinking, this sounds like, why are they using Scooby-Doo type, oh. <laughs> type sound effects? Like, ding, 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 ding. you know what I mean? I so. never thought of that. Wow. Anyway. Let's move on to the children. Oh, God. Ugh, this plot line is awful. So let's do it quickly. Tisha and Jamie. They get in trouble. Yeah, they get in <laughs> trouble. The bellboy, who is, by the way, the actor is 17. Tisha and Jamie are 10 and 12. Creepy. Yeah. I asked why he's hanging, why he's so concerned with hanging out with them. Exactly. Super creepy. I mean, they might have been trying to say, well, no, no, the actor's 17, but the character's supposed to be 14, you know, maybe 14. Still, a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. That's tough. What happens is. The cops find that they have broken into the cafeteria at Eastland. So Blair and Tootie have to go and fetch them. And they meet a cop there. And the cop says he remembers them. <laughs> and they even say, how do you remember that? Why do you remember that? 
And they do try to make him a little bit weird, a little off in a funny way. But uh, he says he'll never forget. It was a fall night in 1982. He says it was a Wednesday night. A Wednesday night at at nine o'clock. Wednesday night at nine o'clock in 1982. Yep. Nice little touch there. That is when the show was broadcasting. However, what is wrong, Matthew? Well, if you're going to go that far to make such a specific joke, get it right. (laughs) It was not 1982. It was 1980. Can you believe it, Paul, that they would fuck up something like that? Yeah, and it's the it's not the same actor, is it? I was trying to looking at his face, going, "Is that the same actor?" I couldn't think about it. It is not. No, people people age and look different. But I was looking at his eyes because I remember, you know, the cop in the original one, you know, and the cop in the original didn't really talk much, did he? This is one thing I did not go back and look up. I I did everything else, as you can tell, (laughs) but I didn't look up that one to see because in my mind. They are in the police station. I remember commenting, why are there no cops here? Mrs. Garrett is sitting on a dude's desk telling the girls what the new TV show is going to be. But anyway. Well, I, just, I assumed it was like the undercover cop in the chugalog. That's who I assumed it was. But yeah. Just old now. But yeah. Yeah. He was cute. He was cute. The cop in the field. Yep. So that's the, the girl's story and they don't really press charges. But we do get uh, Blair needing to talk to them, not, I guess, not discipline them, but she goes to Mrs. Garrett and says, would you talk to them? And Mrs. Garrett's like, what? Not me. I'm retired. Fuck off. What am I? Your goddamn slave. And I'm paraphrasing. And Blair's like, well, I don't know what to do when it comes to talking to kids. And this is where we get a heart to heart where she says, Trust that little inner voice you've got. The words will fall out right. Good advice. Okay. So Blair does try to talk to the kids, and she doesn't do very well. She starts throwing out platitudes, not really working. And then finally, she gets real by telling a Cousin Jerry story. (laughs) Why couldn't Jerry have been the front hotel clerk? And the Cousin Jerry story kind of relates where she says, I was embarrassed because Jerry has a disability and I was afraid it would reflect on me. But girls, the best way to fit in or be cool is to be exactly who you are and not worry what other people think. So that's the movie is telling us that's a win on Blair's part. And it also doesn't hurt that Jamie's like, so you're not going to tell my mom then? So there's that. Oh, somewhere, somehow, they got some vaudevillian riders, by the way. Before they take off, to, in, they steal Blair's car and go off to Eastland to be the little hoodlums they are. The bellboy comes in and says, hey, partners, your chariot awaits. And he trips. And little Jamie says, right foot, left foot, John Wayne. Because what 15-year-old boy isn't doing a John Wayne reference in the year 2001? Come on. Come on. Yeah. So there's that story. Let's talk about the Mrs. Garrett story, huh? Um, do, I mean, do we have to? I is mean... there one? <laughs> is there, I mean, really and truly, she is just... Making people cocoa, making people coffee, baking cook. She's just like, it's like she showed up 
at the end and they went into the kitchen, bitch, where you belong. The mean French cook is now starting to like Mrs. Garrett because, you know, she gave him some pepper or something. I don't know what she gave him. Salt she suggested something. coriander instead of cumin, which is the thing he was having a shit fit over at the beginning of the movie. And now he is like, you are a genius. I can't believe it. And he keeps referring to her as being like a, a, um, a commoner. Is that it? Something. But anyway, suddenly he starts looking at her in a new light and starts looking at her ass in a new light. And while she's there stirring, she's shaking her little fanny, and we get a close-up of it. Thank you. And you. So, uh, yeah. And it ends with her helping him make the Thanksgiving feast. And, and oh, and this is where, conveniently, the Mrs. Garrett story kind of collides with the Natalie story. After Natalie and Harper have patched things up, ring, ring, they get a phone call. They got to go back out. Something's happening in Pakistan. Harper was her cameraman, by the way. So they started getting close because they were on assignment together. Well, now they've got to leave the country and they have to do so on Thanksgiving morning. What are we going to do? We'll just have to see if we can do Thanksgiving early. And we get them on the phone with Mrs. Garrett, and she says, Harper's where? Blair's what? Thanksgiving's where? Sure, no problem. That was that was a full-on, like, wide-eyed, cross-eyed, broad, comedic Charlotte Ray moment. That was a classic right there. And uh, again, I was not mad at it. So basically Thanksgiving has to happen tomorrow, which is Wednesday now. So it's the, I have to make an entire Thanksgiving feast overnight. I don't have an extra day. Oh no. But they managed to do it. Did we talk about Tad? Let's is talk the... about Tad. What do you want to say? I'll, let me let me stop talking. You talk about Tad for fuck's no, sake. I always thought he was very cute. I didn't mind Tad, you know, but... You know, Blair thinks that he's having an affair and, uh, you know, all the, the marriage is over and she has a couple of she calms down a couple of times for a couple of scenes and has real, you know, thoughts about her marriage and talks to Mrs. G and all that good stuff. But, um, yeah, and then she finds out that, you know, Tad is actually doing good and he's uh, volunteering at a, a house. Was it for foster children or children that are sick or something like that? What is it? I don't remember. I, I don't know. So, but it was weird that, you know, whenever Blair does go to find to confront him having an affair, as it turns out, he's in this, you know, house for kids or whatever, volunteering. She sees the woman that she thinks is having an affair with Tad and she goes off on her in kind of a funny little rant. But the camera decides to do these weird, it's like this weird edit where they do like different angles and different scenes. Like it almost seemed like she couldn't remember the monologue, but I think it was more they were probably just trying to be stylistic about it. Really random, random camera shots, random editing. Yeah. Like, trying to be weird and kooky with their camera work but i'm like well you okay sure fine you know um but whatever she finds out that he's not having an affair he's just has a big heart and that's what he wants to do with his time is help. i thought that was a great edit because yeah. it made it look like she was going on for 15 minutes yeah. down, dressing this girl down and we were just getting snippets of it and it made me laugh every time that's they it. cut away so. I thought it worked for you. Oh. <laughs> I 
uh, I hate scenes like that myself. Where... Well, I, 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 I was already lost after the montage. So for me at this point, it's just kind of. Yeah. You know... This whole storyline is given very short shrift. Blair and this story get very little screen time. So throughout the first half of the movie, she's trying to get Tad on the phone and he's just never available. And then at one point, a woman answers the phone and she says, oh, I, I must have the wrong number. Then she grabs a different phone and calls the number again and the same woman answers. So then when she gets to the woman, it's not, who are you? What is going on here? It's, so you're the brazen hussy who's fucking my husband. Well, I'll bet yeah. your pussy don't taste as sweet as mine, bitch. And Jesus, David. <laughs> you know, but it's like, you, you could ask, I know you're mad. You could ask questions. That's such a TV trope of, I'm going to go off on a tirade and blah, blah, blah. And then they're going to say one thing that makes me go, Ugh. so I I don't like that as a trope. I'm like, awkward. It's it's cringe. But what's going on here before Blair decides to go to New York and see what's going on and confront this brazen hussy who's fucking her husband? She's talking to Mrs. Garrett saying, this is terrible. I think I'm losing him. We've been together 10 years and I thought they were a perfect marriage, but now I don't want to say it. And Mrs. Garrett says, I think you don't want to say anything because you're afraid. You and Tad have stopped communicating. She actually doesn't do it broad. It's actually quite lovely, the Mrs. Garrett Blair moment. And thankfully, Blair says, I saw this with my mother. As in, I've watched marriages collapse before. And Mrs. Garrett says relationships grow and they need to share with each other. And I don't think it's over yet. And she's right. Because Mrs. Garrett is perfect. And don't you fucking forget it. So with that, they all jump into the limo, all three of the girls, to go to New York to, to do this. This is when it's revealed the license plate on Blair's limo is BLR hyphen WTCH. <laughs> Blair Witch. I'm I'm in. I love it. That was such a popular movie at the time. Hell yeah. Works for me. How so, is that movie popular? I've never seen it, if you can oh, imagine. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. It was a market. I think it was the marketing was, you know created more ticket sales than the movie itself did they tried that thing like with the exorcist like people are leaving the theater passing out throwing up and so you're like gotta go see it you know made for 12 dollars and you're like you saw people's boogers coming out of their nose Mm -hmm. people are throwing up because they're watching an iphone camera on a big screen (laughs) true so when the dust settles with this tad and blair confrontation What's also going on here is Tad is secretly volunteering and working with kids because he wants to have kids. And he and Blair apparently never discussed it before they got married. Last 10 years. In 10 years and never brought it up. One of the girls do say to Blair, do you have any kids? And she says, oh, no, (laughs) they cause crow's feet and stretch marks. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, so Blair's not into having kids. Well, Blair is like, I, I, I'll have kids. I want to have kids. Why do you assume I don't? Um, this scene is a little cringe because, again, it's like a 10-year married couple 
never had the discussion about whether they were going to have a family, that's really, really bad. I rewrote an entire scene to replace that scene, and I'm going to spare you and not read oh. it. Thank you. Yep. So let's go on to the Tootie story. Oh, there really isn't a Tootie story. No, she's fallen in love with Natalie's leftovers. Is she? I think so. I kind of thought of the foreshadowing there. Like, oh, yeah, you know, that's the backdoor pilot. Those right. two fallen in. Well, they won't they while they run the Peak Skill Playhouse. Yeah. Which Tootie says, this is where I did my first play and fell in love with acting. Your first play wasn't at school at Eastland. I think when she says professional play. The first play that I got paid. Paid to do. Yeah. Did she never get paid to do anything before? Okay. Yeah. But and she says, did you get paid for your eighth grade musical day? But I didn't. And so, well, you didn't have as good an agent I as I did, bitch. I didn't get my equity caught during the sound of music. <laughs> where I was wrong. Playing Gretel. <laughs> is, is that the the earliest one that she talks about she was captain von trapp in sound of music or something yeah is that the earliest is that the earliest that we heard of her singing and then there was south pacific and then there was make mine macaroni and all that in college but well she was is, in midsummer night's dream in the backdoor pilot remember the big play that kimberly was in and all that tootie was one of the the fairies in that true boy so yeah. yeah, Tootie was. That's not the first time she's ever on stage, but that backdoor pilot stresses me out. I think I've only seen it like twice. Too many kids. You can think of too many girls in '79. I mean, mm. way, too, way yeah. too much shit. Yeah, it stresses yep. me out. Blair smoking. I can't take it. Nancy and her fucking handkerchief. What the shit? I think I've only seen it twice. Yeah. Too much. <laughs> uh, so what happens is Tisha is unhappy, and. Tootie knows this and Tootie is just commenting that it's too bad that the Peekskill Playhouse is shut down, boarded up. What a shame. And then in a later scene, she goes back and then runs into Tisha on the street because, yeah, you know, you know, us Gen Xers, we let our kids run free and don't keep them by our side like the helicopter parents our generation is. But anyhow, this is where they have their little heart to heart. And this is a scene that I have quoted and talked about so, so many times. And we cannot continue without stopping here. Where? She says, mommy, you're never home. And Tootie says, well, I work a lot to provide for you. And then a bomb is dropped where Tisha says, so you can forget daddy died. <laughs> no mention of Tootie being a widow at age 33. What the shit? But anyway, Tootie then goes on to say, I met your father when I was 16. He was the love of my life. And Tisha says, well, you don't ever talk about him. And there are no pictures of him in the house. And Tootie says, well, I didn't want to upset you. Besides, there's only one picture of him, and it's the grossest, dirtiest picture that's in what? my wallet. He looks like a fucking homeless dude. What is that? This is an epic, epic parenting fail, Toots. In my head, I was like, is that Kim Feels real dad or something? Because why would they use that picture? I'm sorry. It looks like it's, you know. Or from... the Tisha girl's real dad. I wonder if it's not just yeah. him. 
but I don't know the picture looked from from the seventies. It looked old. It yeah. looked decrepit. I mean, it looked it looked vintage. It did not look like, yeah. But we've <laughs> talked about this a million times. How all the the courtship of Jeff and the engagement. How we're like, he's gonna die. And the funny thing is, I I keep referring to this scene wrongly. That she says, ever since Jeff died, you know, Jeff was the love of my life. She does not ever say his name. She does not ever call him Jeff in this scene. It has to be him. The man she met when she was 16 in the love of her life, the man we know she was going to marry. It has to be him. Why not call him by name? And why not try to find Todd Hallowell and get a picture of him? I looked rough. The guy looked rough. But on top of this, Tisha is unhappy because she doesn't have any friends at her school, but she does say she kind of likes it here in Peekskill. So Tootie says, maybe you can come here and go to school here. And maybe we could both move here. I'm going to figure this out for both of us. And nothing is said about how Jeff died, but I think we all can agree that Dominic Rothbard has the best theory that he took the box of what he thought was sweetener for his coffee, the skinny and sweet, but it turned out it was rat poison, but couldn't read it, illiterate. So he put rat poison in his own coffee and poisoned himself. That's tragic. I believe that should be canon. I'm I'm stating it right here, right now. I feel like something went wrong with the marine, marine biology, like he was on some boat somewhere. <laughs> His friends couldn't get him the answers to all the tests. (laughs) Some friends. He got hit hit with something on a ship while the the ocean, while they were looking at cephalopods. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Anyway, the ending of the 2D story is she goes back to the playhouse. And after uh, Natalie has chosen Harper, Robert shows up and he's like, you know what? Regional theaters need to be preserved. And he says, and I've thought this would be a great place if I had the right partner. And I agree with you. There is a little touch of, is there something romantic here? Is this weird that he like was just ready to marry Natalie 24 hours ago? Uh, so I guess it's good that they don't push it too hard or too far. But yeah, Tootie is now going to move back to Peekskill. She is going to enlist Tisha at Eastland and she and Robert are going to revive the Peekskill Playhouse. Good for them. And not do her talk show anymore. She's not renewing her contract. That's how important the theater is to Dorothy Tootie Ramsey. Good for her. And with that, guys, we've kind of covered all of the plots until we get to the actual Thanksgiving dinner. Um, before we do that, I'm just going to go through my little points of things to note here. Uh, just a, a little crumbs, little droplets, little Easter eggs and treats that they give us a show Bible. Good moment. When Blair mentions Sam, the bellboy, they're like, he's a really young kid. And she says, oh yeah, he's an Eastland student. I hired him myself because he's on scholarship. Oh, just like Joe was. Oh, that is nice. Would this be a time for... She loved her loved her girlfriend who was also on scholarship. Opportunity missed. We have never, ever seen downtown Peekskill. 
and we still haven't because this is Canada that we're looking at. But why couldn't they, if they could fashion that cafeteria, why couldn't they have fashioned the exterior of over our heads and or Edna's edibles or just picked a random fucking building and have her walk by and say, wow, here it is. Look at this. This is the place where we had our store and the bakery. So many memories. Why not? You're like, and you know what? Since it is a Bed Bath & Beyond, let's go in and get some towels. We need some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, you know, I'm not a fan of Glee, but the fact that the store where <laughs> Mr. Shoe's wife worked was called Sheets and Things. <laughs> I, I think that is a magnificently silly name for a store. It's like Linens and Things makes sense. But, oh, where do you work at? Sheets and Things. <laughs> Well, I was never really a fat kid until they had the, they started going into Edna's Edibles because then I wanted to try all the things they talked about, the croissants and the uh -huh. chocolate croissants, you know, the quiches and all these things. So then I just started eating them and I'd make sure, when we went to the grocery store, I'm like, get a thing of croissants, get it, uh -huh. you know, I love it. I yep. would have known butter and bread, you know, only if it hadn't been for Edna's Edibles. Yeah. We do get all of our catchphrases. These made my heart happy. We got Blair saying, I've just had one of my brilliant ideas. We get Tootie saying, there's going to be trouble. And one that I did not expect is when everything had gone to shit with the Robert and Harper competition, we cut to the girls all sitting at the bar, kind of drowning their sorrows. And somebody says, well, that was pretty fucked up, wasn't it? And Tootie says, yeah, life. You take the good, you take the bad. But we've never heard them say those words on the show. The fact that they bring it in, I was like, oh my God, okay. Okay, writers, thank you. I appreciate that so much. And thank you for giving it to Kim Fields, who probably at the time was best prepared to deliver a line like that to make it not yeah. sound so just as fuck, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, that's hard to say. I hate it. I don't think I've ever had to do it, but I hate it like in a script when you see the title of the script in the dialogue and you're like, oh, I hate to have that that job. You know yeah. what I mean? But, yeah, yep. Okay. So with all of these now coming together and whether they can do Thanksgiving, well, they are able to do it. And in one of the weirdest logistically well, moments, uh, this random woman shows up at the inn she runs into Raymond, who is helping to load things into the car, all the food. And Raymond says, the restaurant's closed and we're serving a special dinner over at a local preparatory school. But you can come if you want. And she's like, okay. And so this random bitch just goes along with them. And you're she like- doesn't even, She's not even pissed off that, wait, this is my job, but I was supposed to come try this excellent cuisine. And you just, okay. Yeah. yeah. like. No, it's like, like, what is happening? And then she says to him while they're setting up, she says, um, I do need to dine alone, though. And he's like, oh, OK, we can set up something, I'm sure. And then when they actually start doing the food and the eating, she is all alone at a separate table. And we see her eating and enjoying the food, at which point you're like, oh, the restaurant critic. And, and by the way. In all of the farcical confusion stuff between Robert and Harper, one of the things is that the chef incorrectly assumes Robert is the 
food critic. So he is doting all over Robert in the dining room. And it's just like, oh, guys, tropes, 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 tropes. That's a Three's Company episode. Anyway, she has eaten everything at the table. And uh, then they all start dancing. They dance to the Pointer Sisters jump. And then they're sitting down on the couch resting, at which point Sam the Bellboy says, hey, Gauguin, that reviewer from Gourmet Magazine just left. She loved the food's going to give it a great review. She said something like, a return to classic American-style home cooking. And Gauguin is like, what? No, 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 no. I'll be a laughing stock in Perry. Ho, ho, ho. That's good. <laughs> it's like okay what ha 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 we haven't done that in a while have we ha, ha, no. ha, ha. so that's funny it's ironical and uh don't they do a record scratch i think they do a right there when when that moment hits and then from after that we go into Devos whip it and they all just dance their little asses off harper and robert shake hands and then start making out on the dance floor. I thought that was a weird choice to make. In the, that, that was okay with me. That, was my, that might have been in the deleted scenes, but sure. yeah. And the, oh, oh, the record scratch is because the captain of the ship comes back. Like, literally, we have not seen him since the beginning of the movie when he was declaring his love for Edna. Well, now he's got flowers for her and he's here to... I don't know what sweeper off her feet. Again, he said he, she changed his life. <laughs> Talk about she must have a gold one too. Oh, oh. so is Mrs. Garrett now going to have to have a competition between Chef Gauguin and the cruise ship captain? Are we going to have to have the two of them in speedos and posing and all that? I, I, I hope not. But. Anyway, that's supposed to be the final button of the whole thing is the and Mrs. Garrett has a guy declaring his love for her. And with that, everyone is dancing and happy. Thanksgiving has happened. They're all there except for Joe. And 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 all is good and right with our girls, with our girls. But I do remember specifically the toast when Mrs. Garrett gave the toast, you know, mm -hmm. when we were watching it. And I didn't realize how you said they filmed it, they started filming it uh, so close to 9-11 because she gave the, the toast and I, when she said, you know, and peace on earth, uh, I didn't know, like, I, I remember thinking, wow, because that's what we were all thinking at the time watching it. But I was also wondering if maybe they brought Mrs. G in later, Charlotte later to put that in, or if that was just already in the script. I hadn't realized that they had already been filming it when all this was happening. I thought maybe it was something they had done before. So that makes sense that it would have it. But yeah, they I could have easily just stuck that in because chances are they weren't filming that on the yeah. day. Like they were probably filming this a couple of days later. So they could have been like, this would be a nice little moment we could add. I'll bet you anything. I do remember just feeling when, when she said the words, you know, and peace on earth, whatever. We, it, that was a tender, tender moment, I thought, at the end of the, the toast. It was a yeah. nice toast. And having it be Mrs. Garrett, having Charlotte Ray back. And yeah. So what else do we have to, to say about this Facts of Life reunion? Did you have different feelings watching it now than you did in 2001, David? Oh, I did. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I my expectations were so high that it, there was no way they were going to meet it. But mm-hmm. having just sat through all 200 episodes of the show and talked about them, I was it's all right. Yeah. I, it was it it was fine and it it did give us a lot of things for all the confusion, for the inconsistency in facts and and in tone and uh genre and style. It did give us a lot. There were a lot of little make my heart happy moments that I was really, really pleased to get to experience again. And yeah, like you, I was deeply disappointed in 2001. But now, I mean, it helps we just sat through season nine. So compared yeah. to season nine, you know, even friggin' Ishtar would look like a, a masterpiece of cinema, you know? Yeah. What do you think, Paul? Did you have different thoughts about it? Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean, like I said, when I saw it then, I still see the same things now, you know, um, hearing you uh, talk about it, uh, bringing up the fact that there weren't those types, you know, a thousand Hallmark movies, a Hallmark channel yeah. uh, on the channel that you can just turn on these kinds of stories, these kind of this kind of storytelling. It made me think during this podcast, I'm like, oh, well, then it was it really kind of was one of the first you know, of those types of movies. They didn't think of it as a holiday film, but uh, the tone is the same, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, even though I don't like all of the characters and hotels and stuff, I mean, did we not learn from the Golden Palace not to do things, reunions and hotels? (laughs) Thank Uh, you. you Yes. You know, uh, even though I didn't like all that, you know, I was, I, like I said, I rushed to the hotel to see it and I was very excited about it. So, you know, yeah. And, you know, I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch it once every couple of years just because it's on YouTube. And every time I go in a rabbit hole, it pops up and uh, you know, it's there. It's, it's part of it. So I don't, unlike, you know, I'll watch, I watch this one. Unlike I don't watch the golden palace. Like I don't consider that part of the golden girls for me. You know, I, I, I don't. So. um, And it's fine by the way, we've watched it. And Golden Palace is fine. It's just not quite the Golden Girls, but there's a lot of good stuff going on there. A lot of people and a lot of, you know. Yeah. I was. I remember being wanting to wish I was that kid that was in the show because I mean that was like a gay boy actor's dream is to be a kid. Oh yeah. Jealous of him, but um, but yeah. I mean, I think I've probably seen those episodes one time or two times. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it was, it was a nice little 2001 you know, I got to see them and, uh, you know, that there was talk about them doing something else, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think Kim has her successful show on Netflix now and uh, Nancy's in Austin and, you know, Lisa's somewhere, you know. We could only hope, we could only hope. I had said that if the You Light Up My Christmas thing had registered at all and gotten X amount of viewers, maybe they would stop and say, well, you know, the last reunion was on Thanksgiving. They could do a Facts of Life Christmas special with all of them in their 50s now with their, I mean, if Blair and Tad decided to have a baby and she gave birth in 2002, Blair's kid would be 21 now. That is crazy. Where was Bailey? Oh my God, where was Bailey? Well, Bailey was with Blair's mother. That's where Blair's, where was Blair's mother? She was taking care of Bailey. And Bailey was born, what, season eight? 
So yeah. in 86 or 87. So she would be 15. Yeah. Now, I didn't mind that Bailey, if Blair's mother had been there and there had been no Bailey, it'd be like, what? Just like I'm watching the Connors and I'm still waiting for, are they ever going to mention the fact that Jackie has a son, that Jackie had a baby on the show and he has never been mentioned or thought of or referred to since the I mean, reboot? Dan was brought back to life. So why, you know. <laughs> true. So true. Well, boys. Well, this was fun, kids. I am dead. My social battery is at E. Okay. I'm so sorry that you're not feeling well and you've been having the insomnia. I feel fine. I feel fine. Well, boys, this brings us to the end. And I don't mean the end of the Facts of Life reunion. This is the end. The final episode of the podcast. Last week, Matthew, we had our lovely, tearful words of thank you and joy, and I'm glad we had that. And it's great, since you're, since you're so tired right now, we don't have to go into it here. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> I just want to say congratulations to you both. I mean, what a undertaking. And, you know, it's it's so it's so nice to, especially during the pandemic and lockdown and everything you know it was just so nice to one see your faces and talk to you guys when i was on the podcast but you know just kind of knowing that um there were other people out there not just you that loved the show as much as i did as a as a kid gay kid in small town texas you know i thought i was the only one that even knew about the show you know i would try to tell people at my catholic school about it and they'd be like yeah yeah okay but i'm like no it's this great show um so, <laughs> and yeah. they're like fag yeah but pretty much pretty much <laughs> But uh, but I just thank you. I, I've you know I've loved being a part of it. I've loved listening to it, and I just uh, yeah, congratulations. I think I, I would I love seeing all the comments and all the people, the fans that started listening and the people that you acquired. And so yeah, it's great. Congrats, and you should be very proud. And I can't wait to see what you guys do next. Well, thank you. I am proud. And with that, don't forget everybody. This this is the last posting on this podcast feed so head on over to tv talkaholics the link is in the show notes and be sure you subscribe to that those new shows will start dropping next week on march the 15th and thank you paul so much for being a part of this and for how many times you've been on the show (sighs) so i guess guys let's all say it together for the last time thank you for listening and remember no, David, you should get that final one. Take it. It's what? all yours. Should I? Okay. Yes. Absolutely. But thank you for <sighs> joining you. But now it's well, all you. Here it is to all of you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for listening. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Yay. Here it is.